Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I've chosen Ephesians 5 to help us consider uh, our role uh, when it comes to exposing the darkness of abortion and anything that undermines God's design for human life. Uh, For 49 years, our federal government offered protection for the murder of over 60 million babies. And then came June 2022, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, saying our Constitution does not grant the right to abortion, and we rejoiced and we gave thanks. At the same time, we have to remember that 21 states still have legal protections for abortion. Texas is not one of them, but still, last December, a lawsuit emerged from a Texas woman requesting court approval to abort her baby at 20 weeks old, and one one judge granted her permission. On January 2nd, the city of San Antonio was dedicating... $500,000 in their budget to fund organizations that send pregnant women out of state to kill their preborn children. Last June, President Biden issued two executive orders that seek to protect access to abortion, including abortion inducing drugs. So the work is far from over. There's still much darkness, and many who sit in darkness without knowing it. And I want us to see our place as light bearers in this very dark world where such things like abortion exist. Before jumping into that, though, let's read our passage. Uh, Our focus is verses 7 to 14, but let's begin in chapter 5, verse 1, to get a better sense of the context. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among Saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So there are four commands in verses 7 to 14, and Paul kind of follows each each one of those commands with some reasoning. Essentially, though, we could boil things down to two major points. Consider your new identity as light in the Lord and conduct yourself as light in the Lord. Consider your new identity as light in the Lord and conduct yourself as light in the Lord. We'll discuss those and then we'll look at some ways that... that. Uh, helps us think about the sanctity of life. So first, consider your new identity as light in the Lord. Notice his reasoning in verses 7 to 8. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Them looks back to the sons of disobedience in verse 6 those giving themselves to sexual sin and impurity and filthy talk and idolatry, don't become partners with them. Why? Well, because he told us before that they won't inherit the kingdom. That's one reason not to partner with them. But another reason is verse 8. For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. What does he mean by darkness? Well, later in verse 14, he alludes to Isaiah's prophecy. So that's a good place to start. Isaiah has these themes of light and darkness throughout. Uh, Isaiah uses darkness to depict moral depravity. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who who call evil good and good evil. And then the parallel, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. You see moral depravity there. Isaiah 9, 2 pictures a, a people walking in darkness without the light of God's special revelation. Isaiah 29, verse 15 depicts the the wicked doing their deeds secretly in the dark, saying, who sees us? Who who can know us? Isaiah 59, verses 9 to 10, also adds the the element of death to this darkness. So those who, who were stumbling around in the dark are stumbling on their way to death. Uh, Jesus picked this same language up in in his ministry. John 3.19, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. They wanted them kept hidden. 
Uh, in Acts 26.18, Paul connects darkness with the power of Satan. And so, so the darkness Paul has in mind here represents a whole system of evil. People enslaved to Satan's power, people acting in moral depravity, people rejecting God's word and, and stumbling down their own path toward death. And Paul doesn't just say you were, you were in that. He says that you were that. You weren't just a victim of darkness. It was your nature. You embodied darkness. But how awesome that he uses the past tense. You were darkness. You were darkness. What happened? Well, God's grace happened. It's an amazing pattern that you see throughout Paul's letter uh, here. Take chapter 2, verse 1, for example. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. So you were dead, but now you are Alive. Why? What happened? Grace. Chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. So you were separated from Christ. Now you've been brought near. What happened? Grace, you were, but now you are, all by God's grace. And that's the pattern that he's following here as well. Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Don't miss that. In the Lord. Nobody comes, nobody becomes light on their own. You only become light in the Lord. That means God put you into a relationship with Jesus. People become light only through Jesus. But what does it mean that you're now light in the Lord? Well, again, if we start, we jump back to Isaiah, it means you love the light of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, and in context, you have the law of the Lord going out from the new Zion. And he's come, walk in this light. What is this light? It's the word of God shaping the people of God. Uh, in Isaiah 9:2, it means you have experienced his salvation in the promised seed of David. In Isaiah 42, 6. You now embody God's light to others. So now you're, 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 you're shining with His light and taking His message of salvation to others. Isaiah 58.10 mentions your justice shining like light. He says, if, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness. And so you got this picture of a people acting justly towards their neighbor, and when they do, there's this bright light shining in the darkness. 
In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So being light means you follow Jesus. Satan no longer calls the shots. Colossians 1.13 says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the Satan's realm, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So Christian, in the Lord, this is your new identity. Because of God's grace, you have a new nature that embodies God's light to others. If you're not a Christian, that means your nature is still darkness. But it also means here, for reading this passage, that you don't have to stay darkness. God can change you into light. That's why He sent His Son into the world, to bring light to our darkness and transform people into His light bearers. If you belong to Jesus, and if you put your trust in Jesus... You are light. What then does it mean to conduct ourselves as light in the Lord? That's our next point. Conduct yourselves as light in the Lord. Paul's ethic is not conduct yourself this way and you will become light. It's you are light, now live that way. That's a key difference between Christianity and the ethic of most, if not all, religions in the world. Christianity begins with the grace of God. God made you this way already, now live from that new nature. Be who God already made you to be in Christ. That's the Bible's ethic. And if you flip it around, you've got a different religion. And so with with our new identity in view, how should we conduct ourselves as light? Well, for starters, Paul tells us what light does not do. Verse 7, do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Uh, Again, in verse 11, playing off of that partnering language, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. That doesn't mean we cut off all interactions with lost people or those in darkness. If that were the case, you'd need to go out of the world. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.10. What he means is that we can't participate in their lifestyle. The one that he illustrated earlier, he he gave you a few examples. It wasn't exhaustive, but he he mentioned sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness and filthiness and crude joking. Don't don't partner with those kinds of, of works. We now have different values shaped by the light of God's Word, and we can't participate in those behaviors anymore. But the Christian life doesn't stop with avoidance the things you don't do. Verse 8 says, we must also walk as children of light. So walking is kind of the the proactive way where we're going about our day. Walk means your habitual conduct. 
what you commit yourself to in the Old Testament, if you, if you walked in the ways of the Lord, well, that was to obey His Word, right? And to, and to follow His counsel and, and to do life as God intended it. Getting more specific, though, verse 9 mentions how the, the fruit of life con, consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So this stands in contrast to the unfruitful works of darkness in verse 11. Darkness has works, but it doesn't produce what God desires. The light produces goodness, righteousness, and truth. And, and this is really, really fitting um, because all of these, these attributes, goodness, righteousness, truth, they're all ascribed to God other places in Scripture. And... And this aligns with Paul calling us children of light in verse 8. And so by producing goodness, righteousness, and truth, the children of light reflect their heavenly Father, who is light. So like father, like son, so to speak. Goodness. Goodness begins with God. The Psalms rehearse often, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. But as you go on and you read these Psalms, you kind of learn what His goodness is, and we, we learn God's goodness from His works in creation and His works in redemption. And we see there that God shows an incredible interest in the welfare of others. From sending the rains on the just and the unjust to sending His Son to save a people from their sins. And so to walk as as children of light means that we show a similar interest in the welfare of others, reflecting God's own generosity and goodness. Righteousness also begins with God. It describes an upright behavior that reflects God's moral uprightness. He is the God who does no wrong. All that He does in relation to others is just. Likewise, children who bear His light will be righteous or just in their dealings with others. Right? They're not going to be the guy who keeps his finger on the scale when he's weighing out food or take advantage of their neighbors. They will value just actions in every circumstance. Truth is another fruit of light. God Himself is true. In Him there is no falsehood. When we bear God's light, we too show a concern for what's true. Walking as children of light means we don't deal in falsehoods. We speak truth. As Jordan put it last week, we should should use our minds in service of the truth. When you are light in the Lord, your life will be marked by these qualities. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Now, how you produce these things in any given set of circumstances requires discernment. And that's why Paul follows with verse 10, "...walk as children of light." trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Right? How do we discern what's pleasing to the Lord? Well, by going to the Scriptures 
and letting God's word shape our minds such that no matter the circumstance, God's word has given us the skill we need to please him. We also get ourselves uh, in the presence of godly counselors whose minds are saturated with the scriptures. And we pray together and we seek clarity on what action pleases the Lord. That's why the local church is so important for your life. You've got lots of counselors who help you discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Now, we'll get to some examples in a minute, but for now, let's move to yet another piece of conducting ourselves as light. We expose the world's darkness. We expose the the works of darkness. Uh, Look at verse 11 again. He says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We we saw this same word when we talked about from Matthew 18 a while back, but but show, show them to be wrong. Show these works to be wrong. Help people recognize why those works are evil. Uh, Verse 12 describes these works as so awful that it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But he also says in verse 13 that, that when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is Light. Now, that, that's a challenging verse. It's kind of two different views commentators take. Um, you know, one question you have to answer is whether the verbs are middle or passive here. And what that means is, is, is the light simply making the anything manifest? Or is what is manifest... Becoming light. Uh, Another question to sort out is is whether the anything refers to evil works being unveiled for what they are or evil people being transformed into light. So those are two different ways that that, uh, sound thinking Christians uh, go and, and... If you choose one over the other, you're not really losing anything because the Bible actually talks about those things elsewhere. Uh, uh, Meaning, if you choose one, the Bible says the same thing elsewhere that that the other position did. So, you're not losing anything theologically. But I lean towards the, what the ESV has here. And so I lean towards the the anything referring to evil people becoming light. Okay, so that's, uh, if you glance back to verse 8, you'll recall that's what happened to us who are in Christ. Uh, You even find the same verb. You were darkness, but now you are, you are light in the Lord. So God's light shone on you. He exposed your evil and through that work turned you into light. Also, you'll notice that Paul justifies his remarks by alluding to Isaiah's prophecy in verse 14 
And Isaiah's prophecy includes imagery of people in darkness becoming his light bearers. Okay, so let's look at that now. Um, He says, therefore, or you could translate that, this is why. So he just finished saying, for anything that becomes visible is light. This is why it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, you'll have a hard time finding that exact wording in any one passage of Isaiah. Uh, Rather, Paul is combining language from from two places in Isaiah, and he's showing their fulfillment in Christ. So here they are. And what's amazing is that uh, I've I've tried to point out the parallels. They follow a very similar pattern uh, in in the way that uh, they read within the context of Isaiah. So Isaiah 26, 19 is the first passage. And in the context, Israel was supposed to bring God's blessing to the nations, but they fail miserably. Um, They accomplish no deliverance in the earth, it says. They can't. They're unfaithful. But God then promises mercy, and he does it with these words. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake! And sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So notice that the nation of Israel are like dead people, sleeping. But God will make them awake, and when he does, they will become a dew of light. So a dew of light, that would be like the light you see on the horizon before the sun pops up. Okay? So when when God transforms them, makes them alive, they, they will shine like the dawn upon the nations, and those nations of the earth will then start waking up from their death, is the idea in Isaiah 26. Then you got Isaiah 60. Verses 1 to 2, it's the second passage. Again, the context uh, describes Israel's failure as a people. Their sins have multiplied. Uh, Isaiah 59, uh, verses 14 and 15, uh, says that, that righteousness and truth are lacking. Remember those two words from earlier? Righteousness and truth. He also said goodness, but Isaiah 59 is, a, is addressing this. Righteousness and truth are lacking. They are cursed with darkness, Isaiah 59.10. But then God promises mercy. A redeemer will come to Zion, Isaiah 59.20. And then God says this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. So again, we got this picture. God's light will shine on them through a Redeemer, and His light or glory makes them shine to others. That's why He says, shine! You shine. Um, 
So meaning they are going to radiate with God's light. And, and when they do, Isaiah 60 verse 3 says that the nations will start coming. They'll start waking up and coming to the light. So Paul is taking themes from both of these prophecies and he's interpreting them in light of Christ. All right, that's why he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The Lord, the Redeemer of Isaiah's prophecy, is Jesus Christ. He redeems us from sin on the cross. He rises victorious over death. He reigns from the new and the better Zion right now, and he's waking up Jew and Gentile right now, raising them from the dead state and making them alive. And all who wake from sleep and come to Jesus, he transforms them into light so that they too might shine light to others in darkness. Church, this is where you fit in to the picture. You are God's new people. You are the true Israel that Isaiah anticipated. You are the light in the Lord. And as light, you are God's worldwide plan to make others into light. Did you hear that? You're not just part of a plan. You are the plan to make others into the light. And we do that by not partnering with the sons of disobedience, by walking as children of light, and by exposing the darkness. Now, that has a wide range of, of applications. I mean, we could go back in the text and apply it to sexual immorality and covetousness and filthy talk and idolatry. But today our focus is the, the sanctity of life, especially the lives of those who, who are most vulnerable. So how should we conduct ourselves as light in the Lord when it comes to issues surrounding human life. Well, for starters, we must discern what pleases the Lord. We must discern what, that was verse 10. And when we look to God's word concerning life, well, we find great clarity, don't we? Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God created man in his own image. So all people have special dignity as image bearers. Uh, We also know from Scripture that from the moment of conception, pre-born children are legal persons who have intrinsic value. Psalm 139, 13, David describes his pre-born state in fully personal terms. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. In Exodus 21, there are legal consequences for causing harm to a pregnant mother or to the child in her womb. Uh, We also find in Scripture the broad pattern of God's compassion for the vulnerable, orphans, widows, sojourners, the poor. So we see God throughout Scripture showing special concern for those who can't defend themselves. Children in the womb are even more vulnerable. They have no voice, they cannot protest, and they cannot run to safety. 
Michael Spillman puts it this way. By explicitly commanding us to care for those whose livelihood is in jeopardy, God is implicitly commanding us to care for those whose lives are in jeopardy. So it's not hard to discern what pleases the Lord when it comes to human life. Right? From conception to natural death, treat all life as precious. Neighbor love demands diligent action to protect and promote the life of all God's image bearers. Right? That's why you got these commands, these such specific commands. When you swing your axe, make sure the head, the axe head's on there, right? Right? And when you build a house, put a parapet around the roof so nobody falls off and dies. Why? Because they're image bearers. Right? So that's the whole point of those laws. So neighbor love demands very diligent action to protect and promote the life of all God's image bearers. Meaning, when, when someone asks a question like, well, what about abortion for cases of rape and incest and disability? Our answer is always no. Where life exists, we must protect it. And we will do whatever we can to help this child and their mother. Also, as light in the Lord, we cannot partner with those who disregard or destroy life. That means not supporting or voting for pro-choice candidates. It means not using birth control methods that are abortifacient, or not using artificial reproductive technologies that threaten the sanctity of life. Abortifacient means that the drug has properties that prevent the woman's body from sustaining an already conceived child. So do your homework. Read the labels. Research. Will this provide the best environment for life? to flourish at every stage. But there's also a deeper heart attitude, right? Driving the dark culture behind abortion. And really, it's the same attitude that drives genocide and racism and abuse and a host of other sins. And that attitude goes like this. Dehumanize anybody who stands in the way of my plans and my wants and my comforts. That is the darkness. And as light, we cannot partner with that darkness. That darkness may be easier for us to discern when it comes to preborn children. But I wonder if our discernment is calibrated as carefully when it comes to the poor or illegal immigrants or civilian casualties in war. Now hear me rightly. In a fallen world, protecting life will include policies that don't allow the poor to take advantage of others. It will include processes for maintaining a rule of law and screening immigrants to ensure there's no threat to other image bearers. And sadly, there are even occasions in war when a country is forced to weigh the loss of innocent civilians against stopping a greater threat. And I hate that's even a question we have to ask. 
and it reflects how broken the world is. All I'm saying is that our bent as light bearers must always be what's best for the lives of these image bearers. How can we do them good? What will reflect God's generosity and goodness most clearly given these circumstances? Even good politicians may lack consistency here. But we should seek consistency as Christians and support what's right in God's eyes, even if that means admitting where our desired leader gets it wrong. So don't partner with those who disregard or destroy life. As light bearers, we must also expose the darkness of those who undermine God's designs for human life. Advocates for abortion often present their position in a positive light. So, go online, look up the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and they even have a dictionary guide for you and the kinds of language you ought to use And so they have a table. Instead of heartbeat, use embryonic cardiac activity. Instead of preborn child, use embryo. That is the darkness talking. At the top of that website, they claim to be avoiding bias, but they are showing bias by preferring only language that hides the true nature of things. So when someone puts abortion under reproductive health care, we must unveil the doublespeak and show why murdering the innocent is not health care. It's shameful. We also expose the darkness by helping people see that humans are equal by nature, not function. So in his book, The Case for Life, Uh, Scott Klusendorf develops a a helpful anacronym, SLED, S-L-E-D. Philosophically, he says, there's no morally significant difference between the embryo you once were and the, the adult that you are today. Take your size. Your size. That that's the S in SLED. You were smaller as an embryo, but since when does your body size determine value? Large humans are not more valuable than small humans. And the next is L, so the level of development. True, he says, you were less developed as an embryo, but why is that decisive? Six-month-olds are less developed than teenagers, both physically and mentally. But we don't think the former have less of a, of a right to life. Then he moves to E, environment. Where, are, where you are has no bearing on what you are. How does a journey of eight inches down the birth canal suddenly change the essential nature of the unborn from being 
from, from a being we can kill to one that we can't. And then is the last is degree of dependency. He says, sure, you depend on your mother for survival, but since when does dependence on another human mean we can kill you? So in short, Klusendorf argues, humans are equal by nature, not function. Although they differ immensely in their respective degrees of development, they are nonetheless equal because they share a common human nature made in the image of God. So this is a helpful anachronym to, to remember. Keep that in your back pocket as you are interacting with other people and trying to help them see the darkness of abortion. Then something else. Walking as children of light will mean that we pursue goodness, righteousness, and truth. We talked about those earlier. We need to pursue goodness, righteousness, and truth when it comes to life. So part of God's goodness, we said earlier, was that He shows incredible interest in the welfare of others. So we must reflect the light of His goodness by doing the same. We talked a little bit about that earlier, like... We show an interest in the welfare of a preborn child when we do not support abortion. Right? But also, Christians reflect God's goodness when we offer homes to children in need of foster care or adoption. And if you're not in a place where you can offer your home, well, then support those who can. Another way to reflect God's goodness is supporting organizations like the Pregnancy Help Center of Fort Worth. It's an organization off Camp Bowie that we, we support as a church. Some of you serve there already. Uh, they need more help. So you can come talk to Dale or, or, or Mike Branch. Um, and, and they might be able to direct you to the right people. We should also be the first to help mothers in distress, to stand against human trafficking, and to care for the elderly and the disabled. Christians should be the first to help the poor or to visit the orphan and the widow. We also shine the Lord's goodness when we celebrate life, even when many in the world would say that, that a life has no value. Or when many in the world would say that if the quality of life after birth will be hard, then why bother? I think we've all witnessed this recently with the branch's grandchild. Malachi and the amazing testimony of his family delighting in him. Knowing the diagnoses prior to birth, knowing the complications and the pain, and still rejoicing, still supporting him, still pulling for him through the pregnancy and through the surgeries. They have been a shining light in this world of darkness. We also want to act in ways that, that reflect the light of God's righteousness or justice in relation to others. Christians do this when we lead the way in working to abolish abortion. 
Now, some people will try to separate religion from politics. But this fails to recognize that people are religious creatures. Our inmost convictions shape policy. We also believe that Christ reigns over everything, not just our private life. We believe that God is involved in the world and that He works through human means. Means like you voting and educating and writing and serving and so on. Also, Scripture speaks to our involvement in various realms. So in creation, we are stewards of the earth. In family, we nurture marriage and child rearing. In the economy, we mind our own affairs and we work hard with our hands. In politics, we are citizens who serve and speak for the good of society. So wherever Christian discipleship affects these various realms, we must act according to what is good and right and true. So yes, the church can act to shape the conscience of others in politics. We can work towards laws that give equal and just treatment to all humans because all bear God's image. We can work to shape the character of the people that we already know. Right? Like through one-on-one discipleship. We have to remember that not all Christians understand the importance of supporting, of supporting the unborn. And we can educate ourselves and them in things like the Scriptures and how that relates to logic and biology. The church can also act as a social conscience when we lovingly criticize ideologies opposed to truth, call attention to grave injustices, or pioneer efforts for change in unjust laws. None of this, of course, should be done with this air of superiority. After all, we too were once darkness. And that ought to keep us humble and compassionate in the way we go about exposing the darkness. And then finally, as children of light, we must never forget that our mission is not merely that others agree with our pro-life ethic. Being pro-life is rooted in God's character. It's also a serious implication of the gospel. But our goal isn't that others simply agree with the moral principles of Christianity. You can stand against abortion and still not inherit eternal life. Our primary aim is that people become light in the Lord. That's the goal. Our primary aim is that by shining light into the darkness, people will will come to know the truth. They will stand convicted for their sins and they will run to Jesus for salvation. We don't just give people good morals 
we give them a great Messiah. We don't just give them commands. We give them Christ in all of his glorious saving grace. We walk as light. We expose the darkness. And we pray for people to wake from their sleep, to rise from the dead, and for Christ to shine on them. That is our mission. That is our aim. That is our hope so that we can say of many, many others, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for the incredible grace that you have shown us in Christ. That you would take those who were once darkness and make them light. And not just any light, but your light. I pray that you would give us the strength endurance and help that we need to walk as children of of light in a world that is full of darkness. I pray that if there be any remaining darkness that we're tempted to partner with, you would sever us from those old patterns of behavior and help us walk in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Lord, make us a light to our community that they too might come to Christ and that he might shine on them and make them light bearers alongside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.